Well, thanks, Pastor Roger. Uh, thanks for hosting there. And that question about the five love languages, love that. And I know that you revealed what your love language is, but, but to be honest, everyone knows your love language is baked goods. And uh, if you want to get to Roger's heart, that's really the way you get to it. Hey, listen, we're going back into uh, in-person, back to in-person worship next week. We're grateful for the easing of restrictions. I know not, not everybody's in the same place with that. So just a reminder uh, from us to you that if you're comfortable coming back for in-person worship, we'd love to have you here. I'm looking forward to preaching to some folks in the room again. Uh, but if you're not comfortable with that yet, the live stream is still going to be happening. In fact, it's going to be happening during all three of the uh, in-person services. And so you're going to have three options for live stream, and then it's going to be on demand afterward. And so just whatever you're comfortable with, you uh, take advantage of that. And uh, we'll look forward to worshiping with you and gathering with you in whichever way uh, next week. All right, we're going to get into God's Word. We are beginning in Romans chapter 8 now. We're in the home stretch of this uh, series that we've been in uh, for some time now. And uh, we're going to talk about this uh, idea of control. And no one really likes to be uh, controlled. We live in a Western democracy. A founding principle of Western democracies is the idea, the principle of liberty. The central document of our Canadian Dominion is the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And uh, that uh, principle of liberty is what keeps us from oppressive regimes and despotic rule. And uh, that's rather dramatic, and that's kind of big pictures, this idea of democracy and freedom and liberty. But if we bring it right down to where a lot of us live, where we have lived or are living right now, uh, teenagers, for example, are constantly trying to express their freedom and eventually will leave home uh, because they want to exercise liberty or freedom from their parents. They no longer want to be under the control of the home that they grew up in. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Human beings have, both of those illustrations are really just to say that human beings have this innate desire to be free. Now, if we could talk about that in terms of our spirits, how do we become and, and remain free? Because the, the fact that's before us, and what we've already talked about in this series, the fact that's before us is that uh, we are either controlled by the flesh or we're controlled by the Spirit of God. It's one or the other. And if we're controlled by our flesh, that's truly oppressive. But in an ironic twist, if we're controlled by the Spirit, that actually results in genuine freedom. In today's passage, we're in chapter 8 of Romans, we see that the law of the Spirit, this is verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free. And, and as a freedom-loving person, you should invite the Holy Spirit to take full control of your life. And the spin-off benefits of that are, are truly overwhelming in the best way possible. Having the Spirit in you in this way is the gospel. And that's what we're talking about in this series. The power of the gospel is the Holy Spirit in control of my life. Well, let me read the text. This is Romans chapter 8. The first 11 verses is what we're going to look at today. You follow along as I read. The Apostle Paul writes now, this is the, the pinnacle of what he's going to say. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For... for To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray together. Father, last week we, we saw that we should be delighting in Your law, delighting in Your Word. And I pray, God, that as we look at this amazing passage of Scripture, that we would delight in the words that we hear, that the joy that we have in hearing Your Word and knowing that You've spoken to us, God, would just change us and transform us. God, make us more like Jesus for having heard Your Word here today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, here's what we're looking at. It's in your notes. When I have Christ, I will be controlled by the Spirit and not the flesh. Verse 5 really makes that comparison very clear to us. We're going to move through the text now looking at these two aspects of control uh, by the Spirit and by the flesh. And uh, let's look at the first part of that that Paul sets up. When I'm controlled by the flesh, now five indicators of, of what it means to be controlled by the flesh, and then we'll look at five indicators of what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. But starting with this, when I'm controlled by the flesh, first, I'm condemned. I'm condemned. The, fa- the default condition of every human being is condemnation. And it follows that if I'm not in Christ, as verse 1 says, if I'm not in Christ, I am therefore still condemned. In fact, back to our last message, at the end of chapter 7, Paul had cried out, this is in verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to help me win this battle over my flesh, over sin? And his answer in verse 25, you might remember from last week, was praise. It was gratitude to God. It was, it was this expression of worship. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says that because of what he's going to say now in chapter 8, verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why I'm thanking God. That's why I know there's going to be victory for me. Thus for those who are... So that's the good news, but we're in the part about the flesh and we're seeing that this first um, indicator is that I'm condemned... For those who are not in Christ Jesus, there is therefore condemnation. 
And if that is your condition, you remain under what verse 2 says is the law of sin and death. He restates it again in verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. And that's the devastating and eternal consequence of being under condemnation, of not being in Christ, of not being saved, of not being a believer, of not being a follower of Jesus Christ, of not loving God. William Barclay, the commentator, now with the Lord, says this. He calls this uh, spiritual suicide. It's spiritual suicide. It is a self-inflicted, spiritually fatal, eternal wound when we refuse the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. We are condemned. And the stakes are high. And, and John Owen said it this way. I hope this sticks with us. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Take God seriously. Allow the Holy Spirit to have control or the flesh will have control and it will condemn you and it will kill you. The end result of all of this is, is death. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Here's a second one. When I'm controlled by the flesh, I'm condemned, but I'm also wrong-headed. I'm wrong-headed. Paul's a thinker, and I I hope you're seeing that as we're studying through Romans here, that this letter is a very intelligent, well-reasoned, theological treatise that uses logic and argument to make a case for the gospel. Repeatedly, Paul makes the point that our mind, our mind is the primary battleground. Will we believe? That's the mind. Will we believe or not? And yes, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Yes, the will, our volition is involved in that. Yes, our spirit needs to be engaged in all of that. But the will and the spirit are responding to what is known in the mind, what is, what is grasped, what is understood. And until we understand these truths, until we've heard them and, and grasped them, the spirit and the will can't even respond. He started this letter, you're going to recall, back to chapter 1, we first got into this series. In, in chapter 1, he was talking about unbelievers, those who have rejected Christ. And he says this in Romans 1, 22, 21 and 22. This will be familiar to you. For although they knew God, speaking they of unbelievers, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But notice now, they became futile in their thinking. That's where the battle starts. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. We think we're smarter than God. We think we have a better way. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Or in the language of the message here, they were wrong-headed. Verse 5. Back to chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, notice set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, here's what that looks like. Take a look at this graphic, and we're asking the question, what's my mind set on? We'll come back to this again a little bit later. But picturing the two U's, in the last message we talked about the two U's and the battle that's going on there. And when I'm of the flesh, my mind is set on 
certain things. This is the battleground. These are the things that I'm thinking about when, when I'm all about the flesh. I despair of life. I, I feel this lostness. I think about um, how confused I am. There's often self-deprecation that can be part of this. Not that everybody's going to have all of these, but everybody's going to have one or two or more of these. I think about myself. I think about what I want. Sometimes I can think ill will toward others. I can hate others. Sometimes I'm thinking greedy thoughts and coveting. In my thoughts, when I'm controlled by the flesh, there's lust and there's anger and there's revenge and there's bitterness. And that's just a sampling of the list. And you should ask yourself, are any of these occupying my mind and my thoughts? Are you dwelling on any of these? Because if you dwell on them, that's an indicator that you're being controlled by the flesh and not by the Spirit. At least in some measure, you're still being controlled by the flesh. Here's a third indicator. I'm hostile to God. I mean, really the result of the wrongheadedness, if I'm thinking these wrong thoughts, I'm entertaining them, I'm dwelling on them, my flesh is controlling me, the result of that is going to be wrongheadedness. The result of that wrongheadedness is going to be the hostility toward God. Verse 7 says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, biblically, when you start to think about what the Scriptures actually say about belief, there really isn't a position of ambivalence toward God. You know, a lot of people would call themselves today, a lot of people would call themselves agnostic. You know, agnosticism is the, I think there might be a God, there could be a God, I don't think we can prove there is a God. It's kind of like agnosticism is the Switzerland of theological or religious belief. It's, an, it's a neutral position. I'm not going to say there isn't, I'm not going to say there is, I'm just here in the middle about it. There is no neutral place that a person can actually uh, stand. Uh, Again, thinking biblically, it's always an either-or. When it comes to believing or not believing, there's actually no fence. Like, no one can actually say, I'm just sitting on the fence about God right now. There's no fence to sit on. You're on one side or you're on the other. You love God or you're hostile toward Him. I mean, to think about reject to reject the Son after all that He's done for humanity, to reject the Son, to reject the offer of salvation and the, and the beauty of the gospel that's being presented. No matter how nice of a person you are, is to be openly hostile toward God. And because what it says is, you know, I, I see what Jesus did there but I'm not going to receive that because I don't want to surrender control to God and I really do want to be in control of my own life. I want to dictate the terms of my own life. So I'm not going to let the Spirit control me. I'm not going to give my life to Jesus. He's not my Lord. And again, the only way to slice that, according to the Scriptures, is that that's open hostility toward God. Open hostility toward a God who extended His hand to you in love. Here's a fourth indicator. It stands to reason with all of that said that I'm unable to please God. 
Verse 8, he, he tags this on, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, I know, it's not me, but I know there are some people out there who absolutely do not care what other people think about them. There are some people like that. They just kind of, you know, bulldoze their way through life. They're not thinking about other people. They don't care what other people think. They say what they want to say. They do what they want to do. They go where they want to go. They really don't care what other people think. There are a few people in life who are like that. But most of us, myself included, we spend our lives trying to please other people. We're people pleasers. In some measure or another, we're people pleasers. And there's a positive to that and there's a negative to that. We ought to be thinking about others, but we ought not to be ruled by that. But we'll spend our lives trying to please others. We spend our lives trying to please our parents. We spend our lives trying to please our friends, teachers, spouses, kids, bosses. There's really no end to it. But what you and I should be most concerned with is pleasing God. We do need to be God pleasers and a surefire way to not do that, to not please God, is to allow yourself to be controlled by your flesh. I'm going to say more about how we can please God in the second part of this message. Now, the last one under this section, we're talking about being controlled by the flesh. We're talking about the indicators of that. The fifth one, the last one here is, I'm orphaned. I'm orphaned. And that's just just sad to say. To think that you don't belong. That you've been abandoned. There's no one to love you. That's, what, that's what, what, what being an orphan is. Verse 9, the latter part says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, anyone who's being controlled by the Spirit, we could say it that way, it's one or the other, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And so you saw this notion that we hear from time to time that people tell themselves that, you know, we're all God's children, we're all God's children. It's just not true. It's not true. In the next message, in fact, we're going to talk more about, and you can just kind of jump over uh, to the next section a little bit in chapter 8. Verse 15 talks about adoption into God's family and how we become, verse 16, children of God. And uh, verse 17 says that we're heirs with Christ. And, and all of that describes those who are in Christ. And it's going to be amazing to hear those truths about how God welcomes us into his family and makes us his own sons and daughters. It's awesome. But it describes only those who are in Christ. Only those who have the spirit of life and not those who are of the flesh. Because if you're of the flesh, you don't belong, and you are an orphan. Yet God offers you so much more to be part of His very own family, and to take His own name on yourself. So that's the, that's the five indicators of being controlled by the flesh. Now the five indicators of being controlled by the Spirit. The first is this, I'm, I'm set free. Now, back in chapter 6, we unpacked a lot of um, what Paul said about freedom. The first 14 verses of Romans 6 speak to that, and so we don't need to revisit that in any great t- detail. We had a whole message about freedom. But victory over the flesh comes into sharp focus 
as we have this, this duality warring inside of us, the two yous, again, that we talked about last week in chapter 7, the reality is that we don't need to succumb to the flesh. We don't need to resign ourselves to being defeated. Because, back to verse 1, now we're working through our description of those who are controlled by the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to say, so I will, I want to say, what part of no condemnation are we struggling with? No condemnation. God has done everything we need Him to do. It's not confusing at all. And the reason why you're no longer condemned, I'm no longer condemned, is because verse 2 says, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. We're now governed by a new law. In fact, J.B. Phillips, in his translation, he says this is the new Spiritual principles of life. That's what Paul is saying here. The new spiritual principles of life. So at that moment that you became a follower of Jesus Christ, when you were converted, when you were saved, when you became a believer, when you, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, however you want to express that moment of conversion for you, as soon as that happened, you came under this new, these new spiritual principles of life. Of life, you, you come under the guidance and the governance of these principles that we read in God's Word. And it, it's, so it isn't, by the way, it isn't just that you get saved, you have that moment of conversion, and you can go on and live your life just as you please. No, there's, there's a whole new playbook. These, spiritual, these new spiritual principles guide your life. And that's what's going to keep you from being controlled by the flesh. We need to acknowledge something. While you do indeed have a sin nature, everyone, everyone watching me right now, everyone hearing this message, everybody who's in this building right now, all six of us, we all still have a sin nature that's at war with the Spirit in us. We do indeed still have a sin nature that must be reckoned with. You are not controlled by that nature even though you have it. You are not controlled by that nature any longer, but by the indwelling Holy Spirit. But the battle's intense. And the battle's intense because the evil one is still at work. There are spiritual, there is a spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes. That's one thing. We live in a world that's marred by sin and is intent on making it as hard as possible for us to live holy lives. And, and when you add the devil and his work, and, and what the world system is all about, and you add our flesh into it, like if our flesh just makes the devil's work and the world's work so much easier. And the three of them, the devil, the world, and the flesh, are, are allies against us. It's, a, it's an axis of evil against us. Constantly reminding us of our sin and keeping us enslaved to it. Robert Mounts, bringing some uh, clarity to this, said there is no legitimate place for condemnation as a subjective or personal experience. 
We are, we are, we are no longer condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no legitimate place for condemnation as a subjective experience. To insist on feeling guilty is but another way of insisting on helping God with our salvation. We have to own the reality that we're not condemned any longer by any of our sin, even though we're still in the fight. And it's entirely the work of Jesus Christ that accomplished this. We have been set free. Not by anything we've done, but exclusively by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was his blood shed on the cross that purchased our redemption, that accomplished all that needed to be accomplished in the forgiveness of our sins. He paid the price in full and granted us that forgiveness. And no, no part of that was accomplished by you or by me in any way. It's received by faith alone. We must enjoy the freedom that Christ has granted us. No condemnation. None. No accusations. No guilt. No shame. No fear. No fear over judgment. No burden on your back. No need to revisit it. No need to dwell on it. When I'm controlled by the Spirit, I live. I live out the victory that Jesus Christ has gained for me. No condemnation. I'm set free. And then secondly, notice this, I'm right-headed. We talked about wrong-headedness. I said that we would get here. We talked about wrong-headedness and now right-headedness, verse 5, partway through. But those who live according to the Spirit, notice, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That makes sense. Logic dictates then those who, those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit, okay, who have the Spirit, are going to set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So back to the graphic, what's my mind set on? Again, we're picturing the two U's, and now this is coming into sharper focus for us. When I'm living according to the Spirit, my mind is set on very different things. Instead, I'm thinking about hope, even in the midst of very desperate situations. I'm thinking about hope. I have purpose. I realize that my identity is as a son or daughter of the king. I know that I'm loved by God. I know that I want to worship God. In my mind, I'm worshiping him 24-7. I'm, I'm saying he's worthy and no, no other is. His will is what I'm focused on. I, I'm on mission. I'm thinking about how I can accomplish the things that he's given to me to do. I think about ways to care people. I'm considering ways to be generous. I think about love and peace and mercy and forgiveness and grace occupies my thoughts. And it's not perfect, not every day, because I am still battling the flesh. It's just that as the, my life goes on, my Christian life goes on, I'm increasing in these things, growing in what the Spirit is giving to me more and more what's on the right, less and less of what's on the left. And as I said earlier, this is a key part of Paul's argument about the mind and it all starting in the place where we think and believe. Speaking of believers, you remember we went to Romans 1 and we saw how unbelievers 
have been trapped now in the futility of their own thinking. But if you skip ahead to chapter 12 of this same letter, Romans 12, 2, he says, do not be conformed. He's talking to believers now. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How are we going to be transformed? How are we going to stay away from being conformed to the world? You see the two things there. This is the flesh and the spirit just said in different words. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. And we can look at a lot of other references. I've popped these cross-references into your notes. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Philippians 2, 5, Philippians 4, 8, Colossians 3, 2. In all of those passages, he's talking about the mind. We see Paul saying it over and over again. And so the power of sin in our lives can only be broken by the Spirit, by full surrender to Christ and His way. And that happens when we believe His Word, when we think about His Word, when we know His Word, when we meditate on His Word, when we memorize His word, at words, and when we arrest our own thoughts. In other words, when we become right-headed. Yes, there's a battle. Yes, there are two yous. We must be winning more than losing, making progress, not standing still or falling behind. The victory's already won, and we're merely claiming it day by day, step by step, becoming more like Him by sinning less and less, with more surrender, more and more control to the Spirit, even cleaning out the corners of our lives of all traces and remnants of our former self. Yes, I am, as we said last week, that Luther quote, I am at the same time saint and sinner, but increasingly more saint than sinner. You'll never get there unless you're right-headed, unless you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. All right. Still with me? Everybody still with me? Just nod your heads if you're still with me. I can see you. Nodding your heads, no, I can't, but I imagine it. I mean, this is, this is Romans 8. This is heavy stuff, right? This is, this is, there's nothing lightweight about anything here. This is the third one here now. When I'm controlled by the Spirit, I'm alive and at peace. I mean, what incredible gifts it is to be given life and to be given peace. Again, verse 6 says this partway through, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And, and isn't this what people want? I think about of all the things that we could talk to people who don't know Jesus in our efforts to introduce them to Jesus, to start at this place where don't you feel like life is hard and you're striving after it? And yet Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace. Like what a great thing to offer people that, that, that God would cease all our striving and give us peace. People want this. They want peace. They, they, they want to put perspective on how hard life is. They want to live what Paul calls in 1 Timothy 2.2. 2, they want to live quiet and peaceable lives. Most people want to live quiet and peaceable lives. Most people have very humble aspirations. I know everybody dreams about winning the lottery. I get that. Oh, it would be so awesome to have all of this. And actually, it probably wouldn't. Most people have very humble aspirations about life, by the way. They're content with food and family and friends and health. Most people don't need extraordinary, inordinate blessings. They just want the basics. And the older I get, 
the more I realize how precious the basics are. That this is really all I've ever wanted. And what God offers is the basics now and then the extravagance of heaven later, the glorious riches of eternity in the next life. And then in the meantime, He gives me peace. Now, peace is the absence of inner turmoil. It has nothing to do with what's going on around me. Peace is the absence of inner turmoil, division, anxiety, and conflict. It's a divine calm. It's tranquility. It's harmony and well-being. In its most basic sense, it is oneness with and rest in God. That's peace. And if you want that, I can't imagine you wouldn't. If you want that, it comes by surrendering your life to the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a fourth one. A couple more to go. I'm pleasing to God because Christ pleased God. And I said we'd come back to this, that, that yes, we're to please God, but we're to please God in a certain way. I'm not pleasing to God because all of a sudden I'm doing something to gain His favor that God somehow is happier with me. God's not pleased with me because I'm going to church that I tuned into the live stream. God's not pleased with me because I gave my offering or am serving in Harvest Kids next week or part of a small group. God's not pleased with me in the sense that I'm earning something from Him when I do these things. God can't love you more than He already does. Isn't that interesting to think about? God can't love you more than He already does. You're pleasing to God because Christ, by His obedience to the Father, pleased God. You're pleasing to God because the blood of Jesus Christ was spilt, and that satisfied God's wrath over your sin and mine. Martin Luther, we used a couple of quotes from Luther last week, but Luther, the great reformer, said this, I sin continually, but Christ has died and forever lives as my Redeemer, priest, advocate, and king. It's not about what Luther could bring to the table. It's not about what I can bring to the table because I'm still sinning continually. But Christ was pleasing to the Father. In fact, at His baptism, God said of Jesus, Matthew three seventeen, This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. Identity, love, in whom I am well pleased. Affirmation. And you stand before God for no other reason but that Jesus stood before God and stands before God now. So look at verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. No amount of, no, no amount, we've already pounded on this nail, no amount of rule keeping, no amount of religious piety or good works or moral living or generosity, no amount of any of that was ever going to please God. And then he goes into the incarnation in verse 3 when he says, verse 3 continues partway through, by sending his own son 
For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, Jesus incarnate, Jesus human in every way, even as Hebrews 4, 15 says, tempted as we are, like so human that he faced temptation, tempted as we are yet without sin. And Paul goes on to say back to verse 3, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that the righteous, here it is, in order that the righteous requirement, satisfying or appeasing the wrath of God over our sin, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And he states his main point again, who walk not according to the flesh. Here's the two things, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so if you want to know how to please God, it's not all those works you're doing. Those are awesome things to do to show Jesus that you love him, to show other people that you love them by serving them. It's awesome for that reason. And it is the fruit of someone who has the Holy Spirit in them. But you're not by doing any of those things earning anything from God. Your salvation is gained and maintained by one thing only. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's it. And then finally this. Here's the fifth indicator of being controlled by the Spirit. I belong to Him. And and this, this erases the sadness of being an orphan. I belong to Him. Again, belonging and adoption in particular are going to be the focus of the next message, the next section of verses. But Paul sets that up by saying that these Roman believers... To these Roman believers, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's telling them, you guys, you guys are believers. You're not in the flesh anymore. Even though you might still be battling the flesh, you're not in the flesh. You're actually in the Spirit. And then he says, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, if might, some commentators suggest that that should be since, since, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he's affirming the fact that they're Christians. That you love Jesus, that you have faith in him, that you believe the gospel, that you're seeking to walk with him. He's reminding them and us that this applies to anyone and, anyone and everyone who's in Christ. And the incredible benefit is that, verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, that's, that's, the, that's the one you, that's the flesh. The body is dead because of sin, that's the flesh. Nevertheless, The verse continues, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's the other you. That's the Spirit. And then here it is, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Three times in this last little bit, He talks about the Spirit's residency in us, and there can be no doubt we belong to the Lord. He indwells us. We're His. We belong to the the Lord and and we belong to Him because, because we have been given the power by the indwelling Holy Spirit to overcome this mortal body, to overcome our flesh. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. When you have Christ, you're going to be controlled by the Spirit and not the flesh. And the benefits of God will all be yours through Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, you are um, so very kind and patient with us as we, uh, Father, fight and battle against our own flesh. We do so in a context where we know there's spiritual warfare and where the world is against us. 
Well, God, I pray that there would be a sincere desire and and commitments being made by everyone who's hearing this message today to again double down on living in the Spirit and inviting the full control of God in our lives so that we would be pushing back the flesh, that we would be thinking right in a right-headed way and honoring you every step of the way. God, help us to rest in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we pray all of this in his strong name. Amen.